This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. God has allowed me to go through a season in life that uh, is unique and challenging and has been really difficult. But I don't believe that God just wants me to process out on my own. I believe that God wants that to be used uh, for others and for building others up. And so um, part of what I wanted to do is just uh, is just kind of talk through where I've been this week and what God's been doing in my life before we get to Ephesians. Uh, because I believe that is what God wants uh, and so, um, to catch some of you up, if I just met you, the last few months, as I said, have been tough. Um, January, we had some battles just to uh, rest and recover and be restored. Um, and so, it's been this series of, of kind of ups and downs, right? Uh, and, and life is that way. For some people, uh, your, your ups and downs are far less uh, dramatic. If you're like me, like they can just be all over the place. I'm, I'm an emotional person. Um, and so it, it, it can be really high or really low. Rarely do I feel like I'm just cruising the middle. Um, Casey and I were talking about that one day, like how, how envious we are of people who are just super steady. Like, I, I just want to be steady. I don't want to be this up and down nonsense. Uh, but that's not how God's made me. So um, it, it's been this, this up and down. And uh, this last week, or the, yeah, this last week was really tough for me. Uh, for Stephanie as well. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a down, and um, really a down we just didn't see coming. Uh, and so it kind of caught me off guard, it caught her off guard, it just kind of, kind of blindsided us a little bit, like, I, I didn't expect that to be the case. Um, and, and so, just for me, the, what, what got me down this week, what's really consumed me, uh, is, is a fear um, of, of another down, of more hurt, of, of what might come. Uh, and so, it, it's been an overwhelming uh, presence at times in my life where this fear just controls me. It, it, we went to a conference, and I mean, there was just times where it's like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm, like, I'm begging for your presence, and it's, it's here, but I am, like, I can't stop looking at this fear in my life. I'm terrified of, of more hurt to come, um, and of more dips, right? And, and it's just, it has just consumed me. Um, and, and what I realized, and so just to be um, really, really gut-level honest, is for me, I, I'm at a crisis of faith point in my life. Um, where I am either going to trust that God is good and I can follow Him, or I'm going to walk away from everything. Um, and I don't say that to to be like frightening. I just say that to be real. And I think everybody gets that point at some point in your life where it's like, okay, I I, I can't remember a time where I haven't believed in God. Like I, I was born, I mean, maybe in the church. I don't even know. Um, you know, but like I just can't remember that season where I really had to question. All right, God. Are you good for it? Like, can I really trust you and lean into you? And, and this is the original temptation in Genesis 3, right? Where, where the tempter puts this fruit in front of Eve, in front of Adam, and it's like, hey, don't trust God. He's not good for it. Don't believe him. You need to go your own way. You need to choose your own thing. You need to, to rely on yourself. And, and that's a temptation for me. The fruit in front of me is fear. Right? It is, you, you've got to take care of yourself. You've got to protect yourself. You've got to minimize whatever potential fear or hurt or damage to come. Um, don't, don't worry about the Lord. If you trust the Lord, then you're opening yourself up for more hurt. Then you're opening yourself up. And so there is this, this literal point in my life, this, 
this spiritual point in my life where I'm just wrestling with my faith at a level that I've never wrestled with before. And, and I don't stand here, like, I, I, I still believe God, I trust God, and I'm following God. But it is a crisis in my, in my soul, like I've never felt before. And now it's just scary. Like, it, 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 just even admitting that frightens me. But that's, that's, where, that's where I am. Am I going to trust the Lord, or am I going to let fear control me? Like, am I going to step out and follow him, or, or am I going to let fear hold me back and control me? As I was thinking about this, I thought of a story that I've told you before um, with, with Molly, one of our daughters. Uh, we, she was two or three, I don't remember, she could walk, but she was also like little. Um, and we went to a, a pool party, and like she was so so jacked up hitting the pool that we lived like we put our back down before anything. She was just gone, you know, little little three-year-old self, right? Just kind of going straight towards the hot tub. And it was one of those hot tubs that's like flush with the ground. It wasn't one you had to climb, like climb over a ledge to get into. And so literally she just forced gump this thing, and she's just running and just straight in. Um, and she's got no floating and she can't swim. And so she just I mean, you know, you, you've seen that happen, right? She just goes underwater. And so I, I head over there and I, I can still visually see her. Just under the water, she can't swim, she's sinking, she doesn't know what to do. Her arms are just kind of like this, and she like, we make eye contact, she's underneath the water, and I can see her, right? And so I just reach down and I grab her and I pull her out of the water, and she's fine. But <laughs> spit off the water, all good, you know. But then she was super hesitant to get in the pool. Right? If the little hot tub was dangerous and almost took her out, like what is that pool gonna do to her? Like she can't trust this pool because it almost killed her because it's scary because she she got hurt in, in the first in the first instance, right? And so she was standing on the edge, and you could tell that she wanted to, but she just she didn't she wouldn't jump in. She was afraid. And so Stephanie and I got in this process where we get in the pool where we could stand, right? And we would just stand on the edge and say, "Okay, come on, jump in. We'll catch you. We'll catch you. Like trust. We're not gonna let you sink. We're not gonna let you drown. Trust me. Just jump in. We got you. We got you, right?" And so eventually, you know, with the encouragement of her sister and you know, encouragement of us, she, she finally, she finally jumped. And we caught her. And then, and then we, she got it again, and she was hesitant, but she, she jumped, right? And we caught her, and she, she jumped. And but what was different about the pool? Like, did the pool itself actually change? No. Was she still a two or three year old who couldn't touch bottom? That if she jumped in and nobody was there, she would sink to the Was that still the case? Absolutely. She could still drown in it, she could still get hurt in it. She, she, it was still a danger to her, but she jumped. Why? Because her focus was not on the pool, her focus was on her dad, her mom, who would catch her. Her focus was on, was on the, the dad who could stand above the water, who had learned how to swim and overcome the pool. And so she knew that, okay, my dad's not gonna drop me, so I can jump into the scary environment because my dad, who I'm looking at, is good for it. And so she, rather than jumping into the pool, she jumped to me. And, and, and that's how she began to take that step of faith. She wasn't focused on the fear, the danger. She was focused on the one who was bigger than the fear and the danger. It's massive implications. If you focus on the fear and the danger rather than the one who's bigger than the fear, now, what's also true about us as parents, at some point, she had to jump in and we had to step back and let her hit the water. We, we had to let her figure out on her own that she can handle this. 
And so she jumps, and we step back, and she hits the water. She goes into the water, we pick her right up, and she's like, what the heck? Like, where were you? But we're still here. We got you. You're still breathing, right? Go try it again, you know? And, and so she didn't like that we stepped back, but if we never step back, we know that she's never going to be comfortable in the water on her own and learn how to swim. She didn't want me to do it that way, but we had to let her encounter that so that she could learn to grow and to build and to swim on her own. And so that's the, that's the crisis of faith that I feel like I'm in right now. Am I going to look at the fear, or am I going to look at God? Which one is going to control my steps? Which one's going to control it? Because if I, if I fix my eyes on God, if I trust God and I look to Him, that means, and this is what it means for all of us, if we're going to follow God, that means that I am not looking to my right or the left, and something could come and hurt me. I'm not looking behind me. Something could come and hurt me. And so if I'm trusting God, I'm also letting go of being in control of everything else around me. And that is a terrifying feeling. If I'm trusting God, then I'm trusting God with my future, and I'm trusting God with my past, and I'm trusting God with all these things that could come into my life, all of these different fears, all of these different hurts, all these different emotions, all these different unknowns. If I'm fixed on God, I'm trusting God, I'm walking Him, that also means that I'm letting go of these other things. But what I want to do, and what I think a lot of us want to do, is we're going to say, okay, God, I got you right here in this eye, and I'm going to fix my other eye on this fear over here, and I'm going to try to walk in the middle, and that's never going to go well. That, that's not... That's not faith. It's us trying to be in control of our own lives. And so I know that. I know that cognitively. But then I can't focus on the fear and focus on God at the same time. It's one or the other is going to determine my life. Lisa Turker, I told you this, this is my girl right now. Um, so I love this book. Stephanie bought one of her studies and I was like, give it to me. Let me see. Um, I shouldn't even ask. I just took it and started reading it. Um, and she just, she says here, God was allowing the source of pain in my life. He wasn't causing it. He didn't take pleasure in it. He didn't like the hurt it was causing me. But he absolutely was allowing, just like when we step back and let Molly hit the wire, right? Uh, we're allowing it because we have to teach her. We have to let her figure these things out. It's for her own good. And she says, without full trust in him, it is impossible to be satisfied in him. And apart from him, there is no fullness. Apart from him, there is no true satisfaction. And so what I believe God is trying to teach me, and I'm saying this out loud because I think there's power in verbally saying things so that I don't just try to process it here on my own because it never goes well if it's just me on my own. I believe that God is trying to teach me that he is enough. That, that he is absolutely enough. And I don't have to worry about this fear. And I don't have to worry about that fear. I don't have to worry about that fear. I can focus on him because he is watching all that for me. And it's easier said than done. When you, when you, when you get hurt with something that is a real fear, when, when the outcome that you hope for, you just don't have a clue how it's going to turn out, it is a real challenge to say, all right, God, I'm going to trust you and follow you. So, so here's what I believe. 
I believe every single one of us in here has those things that tend to pull our eyes off of God and focus on us. Whether it's a fear of something, it's a fear of a hurt, it's a fear of a future, whether it's um, a job situation, whether it's, I, I, I'm not sure, control. I just think there's things in our life that every one of us, we've got those couple things. Quickly try to keep an eye on God and an eye on this. We try to keep our hands on both. And what God is telling us is, you've got to fully trust me. And so, I've asked Eric just to sit up here for a second and, and just kind of, I want to give us a minute to address that with the Lord. And one of the things that I didn't say that Molly had going for her is she had she had people cheering her along. Right? Her sister was like, come on, jump, it's okay. Me and Stephanie jump, it's okay. And I believe that God puts people in our lives to encourage us along too. Come on, it's okay. He's, he's good for it. He's worth it. Because there's just sometimes where you don't know how you don't know how to let go. Let's be honest, right? And so I I feel like right now, I'm not one of those people who's been like, come on, come on. I feel like I'm standing on the edge with you. Just terrified, if I'm being honest. But sometimes there's comfort in that too, right? Like knowing that you're not the only one who's scared. And so, I don't know what that looks like for you in your life. I, I don't know I don't know what this time looks like. Um, maybe this is a time where you're able in your heart and your mind to say, I'm done, and I'm, I'm fixing my eyes on the Lord, and I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust that He's good for it, no matter what comes, he's, he's got His eyes on me, He's got His hands around me, He's good for it. And maybe you can let go and follow Him. Maybe you can be healed and set free right here, right now. And maybe you're in a place that I'm trying, and I just don't know how, and your prayer in this moment is, God, I don't know how come get me. Like, just come. Come and take me right now because I don't know how to be free. That's alright, too. And maybe you just need to be real honest and say, I'm not ready to do anything. I'm too scared. I'm too hurt. I'm holding on. Let's just be honest with that, too. But I want to invite you to identify it. Nathan, what is that place for those things that you, you fear letting go of? And fully just trusting the Lord with your heart. And have a conversation with God. And then we'll jump into a few things. I just feel like that's what God wanted us to start with here. So take a minute to have a talk with God.
They are true and authoritative. God, give us the faith to submit to them, to rejoice in them, and to know you through them. In Christ we ask, amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the author of this book is Paul, uh, the apostle Paul. He's the one, he's the one writing this letter, he's writing it to the saints, the church in Ephesus. And so just a couple things to point out in this introduction. Uh, the word apostle, uh, the word apostle is not a word that we use a whole lot, um, but it, it is a word that when used um, can get people in trouble, right? And so uh, the, the word apostle here, uh, it means a representative. Like just basically the word apostle means a representative. So someone who's representing um, the voice or the, the, the will or the desire of another. In the New Testament, the apostles were the 12 disciples, not Judas, but the, the, the original 11 plus Matthias who was added in Acts. So the, those 12 plus the Apostle Paul, which makes 13. So those are the apostles in the New Testament. Biblically, uh, according to, to the Bible, we don't use the word apostle as it's used here in the New Testament. So the word apostle here uh, in the New Testament uh, means, um, it has qualifications that come with it. So men who had seen the risen Jesus and had been given a specific call by Jesus to plant the flag of faith throughout the world. So they had seen physically the risen Jesus, which is why none of us are apostles, because none of us have seen physically the risen Jesus. So it's a huge qualification of a New Testament apostle. The other responsibilities they then had were to preach the word, to teach and pray among the churches, to work miracles, to build the church up, and to write the word of God. And so, um, as, as the apostles being those 13, those are where we get the word of God to us. You know, we can't come in and say, I'm an apostle, let me write a new letter of the Bible and be authoritative. Uh, we don't fit the qualification of a New Testament apostle. But Paul did. Paul did. And, and it was not by his will. So he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus, not by his will, but by the will of God. So if you remember back to Acts chapter 7, 8, um, 7, 8, you got Paul, you got this guy named Saul who is actively persecuting this new and upcoming Christian church. So these people who follow and trust Jesus, uh, Saul was like, oh, I buy that. Like, they are lying, they're heretics. And Saul was actively persecuting them. So the first Christian martyr is a guy by the name of Stephen, right? And so he gives this long message of who God is and who Jesus is. And then the, the, the Jews are so angry because they think that he's blaspheming against God that they pick up rocks and start throwing at, at Stephen, a form of execution. And it says that, I don't know what it is, like I don't really fully understand the layers, but they're taking off their outer cloaks and they're handing those cloaks to a man named Saul who stood and approved of the execution. This Saul is Paul. And so Saul is approving of ordering the execution of Stephen, and then he gets permission to go and to head off to Damascus to arrest and persecute more Christians, more people who are following Jesus. And it's on this road to Damascus, on his horse, that the risen Jesus shows up and knocks him off his horse. It's like, hey Saul, you thought you were going that way, and you were, but you're actually not, because I'm in control of this thing. You're going to go that way, and you're going to be my apostle, and you're going to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel. 
Paul did not sign up for that. He didn't ask for that. He wasn't riding on his horse thinking, man, I really would love for the risen Jesus to manifest himself and like totally change my life. That was something that God by his will said, this is what's going to happen. And so I tell you that because the will of God will not be thwarted. He will accomplish his purpose. So we can run as fast as we want that way, and we can think, I've got this under control, and I can handle this, but the will of God will not be thrown off course. So think about Jonah, right? God says, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no, no, God, I'm not doing that. I don't like the Nineveh people. And so Nineveh's over here, and so he's like, I'm going to get on a boat and head to Tarsus. And so then it said that God threw a storm on the boat. You know, so storms happen maybe by natural causes, but this one happened because God was like, hey, Excellent style, right? Through this storm on the boat, and it's fixing to sink. And they're like, what's going on? And John's like, it's my fault. Sorry, guys. Like, throw me over. And so they throw him over. Many people think that that was his way of committing suicide. And he was just so distraught. He was like, oh, just throw me over. I'll sink and drown. And he's sinking and drowning, and then a fish swallows him. And you're like, oh, so you're eaten by a shark. No, swallowing him whole so that he is alive inside of this fish. And then this fish, because God controls even the fish, swims to shore and vomits Jonah back on shore. And God's like, hey, Jonah, remember I told you to go to Nineveh? My will is going to happen. Let's go. If you listen the first time, you wouldn't smell like fish guts. Let's go. Right? Because God is going to accomplish his will. And that's comforting and terrifying at the same time. It's comforting when we're following his will, it's terrifying when we're not because he's going to accomplish his will. And so you've got Paul, an apostle, a, a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has seen the risen Lord, and he's that apostle by the will of God, that is his purpose, and he's writing this letter to the saints who are in Ephesus, the, the chosen ones, the, the followers of Jesus. I think sometimes we just think, like, oh, we're part of a church. No, you're a saint if you're following Christ. You've been set apart for a purpose. He's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And he says to them, in just a common Paul introduction, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace is found in God. The grace and peace you desire is from God and it's his that he gives. So Paul's writing to, to the church in Ephesus, and here, here we go. Verses 3 through 14, we're going to read it in one city, because in the Greek, it is one incredibly long sentence. But Paul, Stephanie gets on me all the time, because I apparently write run-ons a lot. Um, so you're like, that's a run-on. You get a period there, and there, and there, and there. It's like, oh, sorry. So this is one sentence. And so we're going to read it as one, and then we're just going to work through verses 3 through 6 on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's a mouthful. I think sometimes it's real valuable reading chunks. We see a lot of this in him, in him, in him. Right? Like, Paul is definitely taking our focus at the beginning of Ephesians and saying, hey, more than like doing this or doing that, which he gets to in the second half of Ephesians, he's anchoring everything in Christ. Everything that we, we, we obey, we follow, we trust is in Christ. And so he starts, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word blessed means, means to praise, to celebrate, to act or speak kindly towards. So he's saying, praise be to God. Speak kindly of God. Speak kindly to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why are we praising God? Like, I think we all know, if, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you're like, but I know what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to praise God. So I don't think that's something we're like, oh, man, this is new information that we're supposed to bless God. We're supposed to praise Him with our mouth and our hearts and our souls. But, but what we do know, if we're honest, is that oftentimes we don't actually. Like, even here, man, we'll sing words, but... Something won't be right, or our mood won't be right, or, or we just don't like that song, and so we fail to praise God for whatever reason. So we understand, okay, yeah, blessed be the God and Father, praise be to God, blessed be Him. We will sing that or say that all day long, but how often are our hearts and our lives genuinely blessing and praising God? Like, just think through the, the three songs and the prayers we have today so far. Was your mind and heart genuinely praising Him? Or are we just kind of, you know, cycling through the words, checking the transitions, like how did that go? Like, are, are we genuinely praising God? And I think, oh, I go in and out, right? Like, I know this, but I don't oftentimes do it. So what's, what's, what's key in us actually praising God is knowing why. Why do we praise God? Why does Paul tell us this is important? Why does Paul instruct us to bless him and to praise him? And so he goes on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Praise God. Bless his name. Praise him because he blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Yo, know, I... I can't even, like, I mean, I, I would be foolish to be able to say, like, oh yeah, I know where all the spiritual blessings are in the heavenly places. Like, that would be foolish for me to say that. But what I do know is that in Christ we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The heavenlies, like, the heaven, every spiritual blessing, like, wrap your head around that. Every single one in Christ has been given to us. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So there's some that we see in Scripture, and, and maybe all of them, I don't know. I don't know what heaven's like. I don't know if there's more that God didn't even choose to reveal. It's like, this is going to be a surprise. Like, this is going to be a bonus. I don't know. 
Nobody really knows. I just know that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to us, blessed to us in Christ. That's pretty cool. Like that alone should move us to praise him. So what are some of these spiritual blessings? What, like what are these things that God just like generously throwing them out to people who follow Christ? Like here we go. Here's every spiritual blessing. What are some of these? So Galatians chapter 5. I think that tells us some. The fruit of the Spirit. The result of the Spirit of God in us. The gift of the Spirit of God in us through Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So I don't know what all of the spiritual blessings are in heavenly places, but I do know there's nine that we know in Christ has been given to us. Love is given to us. Joy is given to us. Peace, that peace that I long for, but it's there to be had. Kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Like all of those things have been blessed to us in Christ in the heavenly places. God's not like, hey, I'm going to give you seven-tenths of kindness. No, he's giving you the full measure of it. He's not holding back in his generosity towards us. Like that's it. That is ridiculous. That's outrageous. So when you just even look through that, you're like, man, I'm really struggling. You know, I need some more patience. I need some more peace. Well, it's there to be had. He hasn't held back. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the problem is not with God being like, well, you've got to wait until your 25th birthday, and then you get to get that, right? Like, that's not how it works. It's been given to us in Christ, the Spirit of God in us. The problem is on our end, right? Are we receiving that? Are we walking in that? Are we in pride keeping some of the spiritual blessings away from us because we don't want to submit to it? Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in the heavenly places through Christ. Another one that I think lists out some of these spiritual blessings, Psalm 103. This is one that I was like, I'm going to memorize this, and then I don't even think I memorized the first verse. We'll get there. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord. There's that word again. Praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all of his spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Don't forget the gifts and the graces that God has given to us. What are those? Who forgives all your iniquities? Man, let's just stop there for a second, right? Let's just, let's just hang out on the fact that God knows my full list of sins against him. And before I even thought, man, God, I'm really going to start cleaning these things up, he came and he paid the price for them in full. That is a spiritual blessing. Forgiveness is a spiritual blessing. Who forgives you? Sorry. Who forgives all your iniquity and who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. But these, these aren't just some, some songs and poets and poem that the day was like, oh, let me write this poem out. That sounds nice. And these are spiritual blessings from the heavenly places that in Christ God has said, here it is. Take it. Have it. Rejoice in it. 
So here's, here's a little bit where the rubber hits the road. I think in some circumstances in life, we feel like God's holding out on us with us. Like I was, I was working on this message, and I read through that, and I was like, God, I know what that means, but I'm really, really struggling to believe it. Because this doesn't feel like spiritual blessings. It doesn't feel like you are giving me everything. I, I, I want peace, but it seems to elude me. I just can't seem to get it in my life, and so I don't really understand, God, how this is working. And that's going to happen in life. So let me just, like, let me just say that so that when it does happen, you're kind of like, wait, what? Turn up. I didn't know that was going to happen. It's going to happen. And just like when Molly jumps in and I step back and I let her go to water for a second, she's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to let that happen. But as anybody who knows how to swim, you know, okay, you really have to let that happen so far good, right? So that she can be built up as a swimmer. And so when it's like that, I am struggling to believe this and to find comfort in this, but, but I'm just going to go back to it and go back to it and go back to it because, God, you tell me that you're good. And that you're a good father. And so I'm, I'm going to hold on to this and I'm going to sleep with my Bible under my pillow. I just don't even know. I need you, God. I'm going to hold on to this even when I have to you know, that's just life. Let's, let's, okay? Like, that's where we are. But we have to hold on to this. That's why we have to memorize the word. That's why we have to, to spend time. That's why we have to have people speaking into our lives. Because the weight of the world and the temptations of life is just too much on our own. We need people to remind us, hey, he hasn't forgotten you. He has given you in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Have hope in that. Have hope. So we bless God because of his incredible generosity. And then we bless God because he has a purpose for us. Verse 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God has a will and a purpose for our lives. And that will and that purpose is to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a holy and blameless image of Jesus. So that is right now, in this moment, whatever time it is, let's see, I'm coming here to check it. 11, 12 a.m., right? Like right now, God is actively working to shape you into the holy and blameless image of Jesus Christ. Now, we're never going to fully be there on this side of heaven, but there's also not a ceiling. Like, we also have the rest of our lives to continue to grow in that. The Bible calls that sanctification. And that is what he's doing. And sometimes it's hard and it hurts. That's what the Bible also calls God the potter and us the clay. Sometimes God's going to press, he's going to twist, and he's going to poke, and he's going to stick us in the fire, he's going to let it heat up, he's going to pull us out, he's going to press, and chisel, and cut, and poke, and stick us back in the fire, because there's an end result that God has in mind, holy and blameless before him, in the image of Jesus Christ, and he will stop short of nothing to get us there. Nothing. And it is the best image we can look like. And so we know that is his purpose. That is what he is doing. In the good times and the bad times, he's just shaping us. He's just shaping us so that he can present us holy and blameless. 
Now, there's some really big words here that get a lot of discussion. Like, man, let's, let's just divide the room in two and talk about them, right? Chosen and predestination. What do we do with God's sovereignty and our choice? Did God choose me or did I choose him? Like, how does this work where, where God is choosing me before the foundation of the world? He is predestining us before everything. Like, how does that work? Do I get a say-so in this? Or did God get the final say-so? So after years of my own wrestling with this, starting in college, the first time I was like, I don't know how to handle this anymore. Um, and just wrestling through it, my answer is yes. That's just my answer. Yes, God chose you, and yes, you chose God. Yes, God predestined you, and yes, you had to respond in faith. They both seem to exist in the Bible. Now here's where I'm going to land personally. I'm going to lean more to the fact that God is God, and I am far from that. And so I'm going to lean on God's sovereignty. But if I have to say which way do I think it's more, I'm going to say it's more on God's hand, because if it was up to me, it would not go well at all. And so I'm going to lean on that side of things, but I also know the Bible tells me to repent and believe. Like there's a response of faith that I need. But he is always, Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, who created the heavens and the earth? This is an easy one. God, come on, confidently, we know. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? It wasn't you and me. God is the initiator of this story. He is the author of life. I did not decide, you know, in 1983, hey, I'm going to be born now. This is a good time for me. That was God's design for me. That was God's story in my life, right? So, yes, I'm going to say he is the initiator of it all. Did I say, hey, God, I'm going to be a wretched, wicked sinner? I would like for you to, I don't know, send Jesus to die for my sins and rise from the dead so I can be forgiven and given a new life? I never proposed that to God. That was his initiating plan. And so, yes, I respond in faith, but that faith will never have anything to respond to if God does not first initiate with the gospel and love. And if God does not open my eyes to see, I'm a sinner and I need help. Well, how does he do that? He does that through the preaching of his word, the reading of his word, and community. He does that in so many ways, but it's ultimately God's movement in my life. Did I pick to be born where I was born, to live where I was going to live, to, to, to have the family that I was going to have, the church I was going to have? Did you pick to be here right now? I'm ultimately, yes, okay, maybe I'm going to Austin. But no, like, you didn't choose to live in America in this year. You could have been born in 1814 in England. This is God's sovereign placement so that right here, right now, you can hear someone talk about Ephesians 1 and how God chose you before the foundation of the world. But yes, you have to respond in repentance and faith. So let's not get caught up like, oh, I don't know, did God predestine me? Or, or do I get to die free will? Like, both. Let's just get caught up in the fact that God saw you before the world began, he knew you, he knew how you were going to sin against him, and yet he still came. And he still chose you and called you by name. Let's just get caught up in that fact. Let's just sit on that reality. He should have never come for me, ever. He should have never come for me. And yet, the incredible joy of love he moved near. 
and endured the cross on my behalf and arose from the dead so that I can live with him. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. I don't need to get caught up on arguing people on semantics. The gospel is God's plan. It's his idea. It's his design. I didn't pick it. But by grace, I'm going to respond to faith. He chose us to be adopted. To be adopted as sons and daughters. To be part of his family. This was his goal. This is his purpose. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious and grace with which he blessed us in the blood. This should move us to praise. His glorious grace should move us to praise. Grace is a free gift. It's a gift given to someone freely. Someone gives out their abundance to, to you. God gives us freely every spiritual blessing that has been places in Christ. He adopts us into his family chooses us. Like, it's his free gift. But what but grace wants free is, is always costly. So if I give you a free gift, it's coming at the cost of me. If I give you forgiveness, it's coming at the cost of me laying down what I think is rightfully mine. So grace is a free gift, but it is not cheap. First Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own, you are bought at there was a price paid for our salvation, and it was the purchase of Jesus' blood. And so there is a cost for grace, but God paid it. You can think of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches for you and me at the expense of Christ. He paid for it. He paid the bill. That's what is happening right here. Is God's incredible grace. I love the lyrics of the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only Son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from you the reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. It was in the grace of God that in Christ he would come to live the perfect life we expected to live, to die the death we deserve to die, and to rise from the dead so that we can live with him. Today, the fall of eternity, free with every spiritual blessing of heaven given to us in Christ. This is why we praise Him. This is why we bless His name. This is why we gather 
This is why we sing. This is why we pray. This is why we confess and repent of sin. This is why we follow in obedience because He is worth it. Because He gave us everything. That's how we respond. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.